0: You've heard the old cliché about good things coming in small packages, haven't you? Well, on this week's pod, we're exploring that famous saying in a foodie sense. Of course, Bray is the ultimate destination for Michelin stars per metre. But there is an island closer to France than England that is absolutely packed with great places to eat. We're off to speak to a man who holds one of the jewels in the Jersey Crown.
1: This is Source Material.
0: It's episode four of Source Material, and with me is the man in charge at number 10 in Jersey, the little island which is getting a pretty big reputation as a culinary hotspot. With me, Rob Jones, this week, it's Joe Baker. Hello.
1: Morning, hi. How are you? Yeah, very well, very well, amidst it all. Um, amidst feeling, it all, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, feeling better physically than I've ever done. Had some time out of the kitchen, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Some time away from snacking. And of course, a lot of the,
0: the, the time, during this lockdown, people have been saying, what have you doing? Have you been catching up on your box sets? What have you been watching? The great thing for you, you can watch yourself on telly because you've been on Great yeah, British Menu.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm lying if I said I enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> it's always hard, yeah, hearing yourself or certainly watching yourself.
0: Because this is series two now that you've done the Great British Menu. So has it got any less awkward or weird to see yourself on screen?
1: No, I mean, I think seeing yourself is always is always strange. I. The actual filming of it was a lot less kind of awkward. I didn't really feel nervous about the filming side of it, whereas the first time around, you got ten cameras up your ass, you do feel a bit sort of reluctant,
0: yeah. Was this, was this the point then when you got some tips from Dad, who, of course, has a rich history uh. as an, a- an actor in telly? Did he say, give any wise words in terms of being on screen?
1: Yeah, Dad's good, actually. He, he was just like, you know be confident, be yourself, you know, all the usual. But um, I guess there's certain things that I've picked up from him just by him being your dad, you know, that you can kind of see what works. Anything new is always a bit of a challenge, but I enjoyed it.
0: So are we now at the stage transitionally where you saw Christmas Day, it's no longer the Bergerac videos that come or it can be replays of the Great British Menu now?
1: Yeah, to be fair, <laughs> we're not, I don't think we're a family that enjoy um, any of that. We, <laughs> I don't think I've ever watched a Bergerac. My really? father-in-law. Yeah, I think actually maybe my father-in-law is a big fan of <laughs> my father. And uh, he, I might have watched like a little snippet with him, but I've never watched it with my dad, no.
0: Surely this is the time, lockdown, to get through a few episodes at least.
1: <laughs> oh, well, separate households, not allowed. Okay. All
0: right. <laughs> okay. Um, let's talk about you then rather than your dad and, and Bergerac. Um, tell me how, how the man with an English degree and a master's in finance goes on to become a really exciting young chef.
1: Yeah, well um, you know, I always cooked when I was since I was about ten, I really liked it. My um my mum's German and I feel like, you know, that kind of German culture that my mum's mum had of like really knowing how to sort of cook properly kind of fed down through my through my mum and then into me. So I was always really into it, just cooking basic stuff. And then when I was at school doing my A levels, I think it was after school, I'd go and do a sort of basic two-year cooking course, which really, you know, it's not that useful in a way, but it did teach me um, bits and bobs and kept me kept me interested. And then, yeah, I just um, was going to do a very different path. I was going to... Well, I did study English Lit at Durham University, uh, which was great, but, you know, it's not a vocational course. So I um, carried on cooking throughout that. And then when I left university... And actually before in my gap year, I, I cooked again. And then um, I was ready to enroll in a law course, do the right sensible thing. Kind of wish I'd done that now. And, uh, <laughs> and um, last minute I said, oh, you know what? I don't want to be a lawyer. I want to be a cook, um, but I'll, I'll do something. So I did a finance master's just so that, you know, one day when the day came that I needed to or wanted to open my own restaurant, I kind of knew what, what I was doing in terms of numbers to some degree. I felt that after my English course it equips you very well in one way, but in another way you know, I needed to learn some real nuts and bolts and get out of fairyland. So those thoughts of,
0: of early days then as, as a ten year old when you you're just starting to, to sort of get into the kitchen. What were the sort of things that you were you were cooking and what was what was your your grandmother who who was as you said a, a good cook? What was her speciality?
1: Well, we used to um one of the main memories I have of eating at her place in Germany was, um, we just call it bouillon. So just a, a stock basically, but she'd just make a beautiful broth, you know, with vegetables, chicken. Sometimes it would be an oxtail broth or, you know, and that to me was like, wow, like how much flavor there was in this broth. I mean, that, you know, that's a real skill to this day that a lot of chefs struggle with. Um, yeah. And then at home, I remember the first thing I really cracked was a, was a tart tatin. I used to make it like every, every weekend when I was about, I don't know, 11, 12, something like that from, I think it was maybe the Arga cookbook or Delia Smith, something like that. <laughs> I'll be honest, brother, so, you...
0: I was expecting omelette or scrambled eggs. I didn't think that the first thing that you were going to turn out was a tart to tan when you were 11 or 12. Nah, just apples, butter, sugar, bit pastry easy. <laughs> you make it sound very easy. I think we can tell why you've progressed as you have if the first thing that you
1: were you Yeah, were I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm sure those first tart to tans are a bit watery and uh, not the best, but... <laughs> Yeah, I just loved it. Um, Although I remember my brother, he used to, everyone used to say, oh, well done, you've made this beautiful thing. And he'd be like, oh, you just read a recipe. I "I, I need to learn how to do my own recipes.
0: Well, exactly. But anyone who's done pastry will tell you that sometimes it isn't that easy, that you can probably follow it letter of the law, and it still turns out not how it looks in the book, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm also just no expert in pastry. Yeah.
0: What about uni then? Because again, probably as a student, you're known for not cooking anything that's... you know, top-level culinary-wise, what what was your sort of serve-up of an evening at, at uni?
1: Yeah, to be honest, I, I never went down that route of trying to be fancy and impress people with, I don't know, some glaze or this or that. I just like cooking good food, and I've always um, liked food that fits the circumstance it's in. I think that it, it's absolutely pointless to try and make something fiddly and fancy in a uni house, but you can still make great food. Uh, and
0: into that progression then the point when you decided that you wanted to be a chef and and within in life now and, and since you've been back in Jersey it's it's very much that the, the restaurant industry that you've been in has had a, a family vibe to it I guess you'd say.
1: Yeah absolutely so seven years ago my parents opened with no real previous experience my mum had a bit of hospitality experience but they opened a um, what is now a very very busy uh, beach cafe that they've Slowly over the years, been developing last year, I think, or the year before, they did a big new kitchen on it, and they've really kind of built it up to this very, you know, high turnover kind of machine that's, you know, it's great. It produces really consistent, delicious kind of beachside cafe food. Um, So I got a sort of taste of that side of things, and I helped them out for a bit a few years ago, Um, but I always knew that I wanted to get involved in a sort of more high-end kind of side of things. And um, yeah, so four, four and a half years ago now, we found, um, me and my, my parents helped me find a site for what is now number 10 restaurant. Um, and yeah, the rest is history.
0: So even when, when you were at Le Bray and, and you're, you're doing that, as you were saying, sort of high turnover style food, were yeah. you always experimenting? Were you always thinking of, of menus for, for a time when you would go to a place that was a little bit more refined?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I, I didn't spend that long cooking there. I just helped them, you know, whether it was in some holiday or bits and bobs. And around that, you know, I was working in good restaurants. Like before I went to uni, I worked in Margaret River in a good restaurant there in, in Australia, um, did bits and bobs. And then after uni, I went to Spain and worked in a, in a in a good place in San Sebastian, all the while kind of going back and forth, helping them when it, when it was needed. So my focus was always on that end of things. But, you know, I definitely it's good not to be snobbish about like you still learn a lot from sort of high turnover places. And I
0: mean, places like Spain and Australia, you would imagine, the the, the foodie amongst us, would imagine there's a fair amount of contrast in style. So what what were the Mm. different things you learned by working in different countries?
1: Well, Australia was my first proper job in like a good restaurant. And that was a real eye-opener. I mean, I had a few shockers. I remember one time, one of the, I think he was this, to me he felt like kind of a demigod but I think he was actually just a senior cdp or something and uh he let me borrow his little paring knife to do some veggie job and I ended up finishing the job end of the day he's like where's my knife joe and uh I was like Fuck, I don't know um shit and uh and I ended up having to rifle through about six euro bins full of waste in 40 degree <laughs> Australian sunshine to find this guy's paring knife and it's like <laughs> Those are the hard lessons I learned from that from that, you know, particular job, like focus, be organized, don't throw someone Don't throw knives in the, in the bin by mistake, yeah. you know? Like and I was real like absolute bottom of the pile there, but I learned loads cuz it was a good kitchen. Um and yeah, in terms of food influence, I mean, Australia is expect, you know, Western Australia is very close to, you know, Asia and Indonesia, so there was a lot of influence from there which I've never really hadn't really seen before. Um and actually in general, my taste of Australian food was, I think it's at a very high level. Um, I think they, they've got great ingredients and, you know, certainly at that time ahead of us in in many ways. Um, and then contrasted with Spain, you know, that was all of, I worked somewhere quite traditional and that was great because you just, their reverence for their tradition and for their ingredients is just amazing, you know, rather than looking out, trying to bring exotic things in, you know, they really focus on what they have. And to me, that resonates more strongly. That's an idea that I really, you know, I, I kind of found inspiration from that thoroughly.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, we'll we'll come back a little bit later on to to sort of focusing on, on local ingredients and, and the place that you live at the moment. Um, so did you always find that whilst you were working at, at those sorts of places that, that your mind you felt was sort of in tandem with what was going on and you were having ideas of your own and, and thinking about mm. the way that this would work rather than just going in and doing the sort of physical prep part yeah. of it and then going home.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, I always felt and had confidence in my kind of taste or vision, you know. Um, it was about learning the rudiments. You know, my dad always would tell me that about, you know, he he's very musical and he'd always say, look, you can be creative once you've learned the rudiments. And for me, having not had the sort of classical, formal training in a kitchen, it was very important for me to just get those rudiments up to scratch, um, you know, knife skills, basic mise en place skills you know really drill myself a bit because that sort of creative side of it always came very naturally and and I think you know it actually really helped that I didn't come from a very sort of formalized cooking background because I didn't have I didn't just adopt any one view like if you work for a big name you know you see it like show me one chef who's worked for a big name most of their lives and their food is always you know it might even get better than their, their their mentor but it's always a shadow in some way of their mentor Um, where I didn't really have that uh, which is a negative in a way because you definitely don't learn as much (laughs) but um, also means you can be a bit freer. Well freer and also
0: I think probably what I would say from from watching you and obviously you know with with TV and the way it works you don't always get the truest version of a person through through TV edits but certainly watching The Great British Menu it, it seems to me that you have a great courage of your convictions that even when you go through a process and, and a very respected chef will sometimes say, well, I think you should do that, that and that. And then it comes to, to cooking that dish again. Mm. And you ha- you haven't, you've sort of stuck with, with what you wanted to do originally because you believed in in the dish.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, TV, there's certain uh, restrictions that you, know, you don't see outside of the what you see on TV. But I definitely have confidence in my convictions. I mean, I, you know, I don't I don't lionize any of these people. I respect them. I don't think they're like, you know, they're just blokes. They can get it wrong, like you know. On the other hand, I'm stubborn, so in the moment I might be like, "Oh no, no, no," but then I will go back and you know. I think you'll see in the next in the in the finals of the Great British Men. You know, I did actually take on board, you know, more bloody marmalade.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean that was that was <laughs> a real thing. But, that was one of them. Though, it was right.
1: like they, you know, but the reality is you've got like a day in which to get ready to cook all your dishes and then you know change this There's not much time you know You, you actually there's only so much you can do sometimes but yeah I think I am I am I do stick to my guns and but like that's the way I've always learned I'll throw myself in the deep end and um have strong convictions and it won't always work great but you sort of you know you forge your own way
0: just before we move on ever so slightly, just explain that marmalade just to anyone who hasn't watched this year's Great <laughs> British Menu, because <laughs> otherwise it yeah. seems very very confusing <laughs> to people.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I um, I said on the show I'm not I'm not that kind of into pastry, but um, for my uh, dessert I've made a a, um, a wise bear's emergency sandwich. So I tried to recreate sort of Paddington Bear's emergency marmalade sandwich, um, and I just I, I just kind of didn't really click to me that it should 100% focus on marmalade which is kind of obvious uh, I guess in retrospect but I think I was a bit wary that a lot of people don't like it or what have you anyway it was more of a blackberry sandwich than a marmalade sandwich and um you know repeatedly I seemed to uh, refuse the to heed the advice <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: well, I did, I did but, get the sense by the end of it that had you have made sort of marmalade on toast you probably would have got a better mark than what you turned out because they, yeah, they were so know, obsessed with like, the marmalades
1: it's funny how they, they, they you know, like these things, they, they latch on to one thing and then it becomes sort of this big focus, but it's just trying to create a narrative. You're listening to Source Material, available from all major podcast providers. To get in touch, use the hashtag Source Material on social media.
0: There's always a sort of theory with, with people, if you speak to people in Jersey, that the danger of of being from a place like that is that Mm. you can become a little bit insulated and and it's so, so important to whatever it is you do, whether it's cooking, whether it's sport, Mm. whatever, to get off the island and test yourself. Did you see that as something significant?
1: Yeah, I think there's a few points in what you just said. I mean, the Jersey is insular. Um, I struggle being in this small island, but um, Fortunately, you know, the imagination is not contained by, you know, the parameters of an island. And I, I have this kind of thing. I mean, I used to look, cook and work in London. You know, there's so much going on. To be honest, you, you create your own island wherever you are. Um, and so as long as you do kind of get off, stay curious, keep kind of interested in other things, I don't think it's an issue. However, you know, when you look at the food that's being produced here in Jersey, you know, I'm the first to support... And, and sort of advocate how good Jersey is for food but like you can clearly see that it is insular I mean there's not much avant-garde cooking going on whatever that may be for, for, for better or for worse so it is insular on the other hand I think you know a lot of the chefs that I admire and look up to kind of follow that sort of um motto of maybe like you know limitation promotes creativity so when you have a pantry full of everything around from around the world and you can pick this and that and take some of that style and some of that, you end up with something with very little like voice, very little authenticity. Whereas I look at someone like I don't know, an example, Tommy Banks. Um, I, I think I've read that he was kind of felt a bit fraudulent in what he was doing years back and then decided to just focus laser focus on what was there right in front of him, around him. And that sort of limitation, as you can see, it's promoted a real creativity. And he's now kind of got his voice. He's got a true identity, which is, I think, a very elusive thing for chefs. We all copy.
0: Let's talk about your menu then. Let me give you a little quiz question. What words do you reckon features on it more than any other words? (laughs) Um, The actual menu. uh, Jersey. I don't know. Jersey is the right answer. Yeah, and, and, and yeah. you said a little bit earlier, we, we touched on it with, with what you did over in San Sebastian, that that was important to you. But there is obviously a real emphasis on looking around you and getting the best you can from that 9 by 5 island.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, look, it makes common sense. It's, you know, not that common, but it is. it makes sense. I mean, I, you know, also... Like the amount of times you try and get some sort of obscure product from here, there or wherever. And it's just like a logistical or supply chain issue. And it's like, well, you could have something super fresh delivered like consistently every day. Like, or you know, even if it's not consistent, like take seafood. You know, I know certain chefs that will bring in, you know, scallops from Orkney just because they're like can be graded. It's like, <laughs> what are you doing? Um, it's madness to me, whereas, like, we have the clearest, cleanest waters you could hope for and have an amazing scallops, but the diver might get some big ones and some little ones.
0: I would get the sense as well, though, that people from Jersey are very proud of being from Jersey. So, if you go into a restaurant in Jersey and see stuff from Jersey, people mm. are probably pretty likely to order that.
1: I think so, yeah. I mean, look, the food kind of ingredient network is complicated and unfortunately it's become so popular and fashionable to like promote local seasonal you know and a lot of places you know we're all guilty of it to some degree just pay lip service to that idea rather than actually like stick to it because at the end of the day it can it can hurt your bottom line it's not always the easiest way to do things um so yeah i'm a bit reluctant to even though i will kind of promote it and put jersey on my menu um it's kind of becoming a bit um kind of devoid of meaning in a way because everyone you know it's like if you don't do it what are you <laughs> yeah. i'd rather i i i kind of long for i mean i don't like explaining myself i'd rather the food does the does the talking and but sometimes i know you have to um promote what you're doing and and explain it to people because look they're not chefs and they're not you know they yeah you know, they don't understand necessarily and that's not you know why should they it's like if you've had Never tried like real good parmesan, and all you thought parmesan was was some sort of pre-grated thing from the shop. <laughs> and then you had the real, and you had the real thing. You'd be like, "Oh my god, I just didn't know."
0: Well, that was that was sort of exactly what I was going to say. Is that that I went on holiday to Sri Lanka a couple of years ago? We got taken down to this sort of spice garden, and we were given mm. a lot of the stuff that was grown at source in Sri Lanka, whether it be uh, something like chili or peppercorns right to things that you don't eat like aloe vera but the difference yeah. and the contrast in oh. what it's like when it comes at source. and that must be the same with with a scallop or a crab or something like that you know that yeah. if it gets taken from two miles away and eaten, it's better than coming all the way from Orkney. it must be
1: 100 and uh, you know and also that that kind of idea can translate even further so like take a crab um, most crab that restaurants will serve in Jersey is has been cooked and picked by the fishmongers because it's time-consuming to do it. Um, and it's still tasty, but look, the crab's overcooked because they have to overcook it by law probably to, you know, make it technically safe. Um, and then it's been packed in a tight little container and it's, you know, whereas like, if you actually take a crab that's live, kill it, cook it, pick it when it's still warm, like the difference is massive. But it just takes kind of real integrity to actually have the work ethic to do that every day when someone else can just put Jersey crab on the menu and just pick it and just stick it on the plate and maybe a lot of people won't even realise.
0: Question for you then. Is there anything that is better from Guernsey than from Jersey food-wise? I
1: think donkey meat, probably. <laughs>
0: I sense that that might be some sort of answer. I didn't think I'd get age do, you know, do you know what? It's better in Guernsey. You are a classic <laughs> Jersey man I don't in know. Sense,
1: I, To be honest, I don't know. I, I have nothing against Guernsey. I mean, my dad was actually born in Guernsey. Yeah, so.
0: There you go. Even a star of Bergerac. I <laughs>
1: um, and, and I
0: imagine, just, just finishing off in terms of talking about the local produce, that it's 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 a lot easier in terms of having a relationship with a supplier and also you can sort of go up and try things and, and you know anything's only yeah. other three four miles away
1: yeah absolutely I mean I've it's about having the time to do that as well that's what's quite hard I've done it more recently like, well until this stuff with coronavirus happened I was doing it more and it was really becoming quite rewarding and it's but it's about making the time for it and kind of like realizing that that's important because it does take time to go and meet someone and actually like figure out that supply chain rather than just placing a message on an answer phone you know.
0: Let's talk about Jersey as a whole then and, and the mm. Good Food Guide 2020 sort of identifies it as this new or a culinary hot spot so Therefore, that means there's plenty of competition in the Channel Islands for for someone's choice for dinner, I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's saturated market in terms of how many restaurants there are. I read something, apparently there's, and this would obviously include all sort of food outlets, but there's something like 400 places on TripAdvisor in Jersey. I mean, it's only 100,000 people. I mean, that's kind of mad. Um, so there is a lot of competition and there's, you know i always felt though that for me personally coming here was like almost that it, there wasn't a lot of people there's a lot of people doing a lot of the same things um and i think the barriers to entry for for sort of higher end restaurants are quite high in jersey um so like for younger people like myself to get in get in and do something that they want to do and sort of shake it up a bit and kind of push rather than being you know sea bass farm sea bass on sort of crushed potatoes vibe um it's actually quite hard so there's a lot of the young people that I'm friends with that are doing things in hospitality in Jersey are more in the sort of like cafe like kind of culture and they're doing like really great stuff and actually doing really nice food but it's not sort of in a restaurant setting um yeah there's a lot of restaurants I feel in Jersey that just haven't I don't know You, everyone's entitled to do their own thing but they just sort of play it safe and don't really think about what they're doing they're just yeah, I don't want to sound negative about it, but you know you can't have 400 great restaurants, can you? In Absolutely
0: not. No. no. Do, what what are the sort of places that you see as as your direct competition then in Jersey?
1: Uh, gosh. Um, well, I mean, we're in Saint Helier. We're in the town. Um, so just down the road is um, uh, Samphire, who I you know their previous chef was the chef I was against in the Great British Menu previous year. Um, they do you know they cook really nice food um, and then you've got bohemia as well um, again Steve Smith the chef there um, has recently left but um, you know food's good there um, where, I mean um, got Sumas on, on, in Goree I actually did my first ever bit of kitchen work experience there when I was doing Project Trident at school wow <laughs> yeah so you I, maybe I, I take, the, take the credit day, for its rise just, <laughs> the first day oh no they don't need any of my help um, <laughs> the first day I walked into the kitchen and uh, they were like go get a chef white and I went into the um, to the laundry cupboard or whatever and I just grabbed a chef white didn't really look put it on strolled into the kitchen and I I chose the one that had got head chef embroidered on the front <laughs> <laughs> Prophecy what I
0: would <laughs> is that your uh, first impressions probably aren't too strong. One place you walk in with a head chef's jacket, one place you lose someone's knife. I think probably like, maybe we'll put it down to nerves early doors, Joe.
1: Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I definitely was nervous. I remember going into that kitchen because that was the, the first kitchen, proper kitchen that I'd experienced. I was really young, like 15 or whatever. Um... And uh, yeah, I just like proper stocks bubbling away and people making bread. And I was just like, really like, wow, this is, this is great. And I think I said to the, to the head chef, I was like, oh man, I just want to learn it all. And he was like, all right, you know, take your time, mate. (laughs) Yeah. But that's,
0: that's good again. I mean, when you, when you look at sort of things that I guess are a good sign in, in a chef or a young chef, that that desire to learn and that, that sort of almost... Mm the propensity to be amazed by something like making bread or making a stock is a a good sign moving forward
1: i think for sure i think for me the most important thing for being getting anywhere half decent and i wouldn't even say i am is openness like not thinking that you've cracked it and that's it that's all there is to to it you know you have to be constantly looking how to improve and to face change and to make yourself better because you just want to be I mean, the worst thing is something, you know, some guy learns how to do something somewhere and then he's like, that's it. So it's never it.
0: What's the ultimate then?
1: I don't know. I'm always quite torn between the one-hand wanting to be, you know, authentic with it and push the actual food um, to a point where I like truly feel that like it's representative of what I want it to be. But I'm also very aware of the sort of, practical realities of running a restaurant and wanting to have you know a half decent life and often I think in the past certainly restaurants you kind of had to pick one or the other you know do you want to really push the food and make it as brilliant as you can and sweat over the stove every night and all of that but then you know have a a home life that suffers or huge amounts of personal stress or be unhealthy and you know drink and whatever and I really do want to sort of have a happy marriage between the two Um, and I think with you know being intelligent about it you can but it's definitely not easy
0: do do accolades
1: matter not really I mean I've never um when I opened number 10 I, I I was definitely a complete like couldn't be more of a nobody like never worked for any big name or anything like that and I never cooked to get a you know anything like that i mean i, I often joke um because actually yeah we our first sort of accolade if you will, was we uh, the good food guide last year um put us in and we we got a six in that which is we were all quite like chuffed with that because a six is you know some of my favorite restaurants rank lower than that and so I don't, so i don't also think that it's particularly accurate but we were really <laughs> happy about that and so we often joke that we must be at least one of the best restaurants in the country to have zero rosettes
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, just, just to sort of, um, to explain it maybe to people who, who don't sort of look at the food guide intrinsically, is that if, when they rank their top 50, mm. you know, th- those that are getting in sort of 38, 35 to 50 are, are a 7, so you're obviously yeah. not too, and a, a 10, I think there was, I think there was three restaurants this year that, that had a 10, yeah, so it's, it's not like there's pyramid, loads of tens. Like,
1: Yeah, it's very pyramid style, and I think that always hurts them a bit, because people say, oh, 6, that's not like... You know, but like most places with a 6 you it'll be hard pushed to find many places with a six that don't, for example, have a Michelin star. Mm. I don't. You know, there's not going to be many. That's for sure.
0: And there's there's also probably a school of thought that if you look, it's almost structured in in a. Obviously, the the food still has to be of a decent level. But do you think there is still an element of um, of reputation that goes with scoring and accolades? That if you are A chef from a certain school or background or have a certain name and have been Mm. in and around the top for years and years that it's a lot easier to
1: to keep getting those stars. I mean, you know, the reality is these people compiling guides, you know, they're doing a job and they've got a big job to do in thousands of restaurants. And if they can narrow it down, like, oh yeah, he got a star there and he was working, you know, they, well, we're going to certainly check him out quickly and, you know, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, that's just normal and that's, I'm fine with that. Um, I mean, we you know, we um, I've know, I've never written an email or a request for anyone to come and eat or look. I just do, you know, I just want to be busy with the with the local clientele, really. And if the yeah, and I, the rest, if it comes, it comes, and that's cool.
0: All right, almost done. Just time for a few more quick fire questions before yeah, yeah. we go.
1: The burning issues.
0: So, Joe Baker, you have an ultimate three-course meal to pick: a starter, oh, a main Christ. course, and a
1: dessert. Oh wow! 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 Um, <laughs> blimey! Probably have um. Just like I don't know. Hey, okay, main course first. Like I, I don't, I'm not doing it in logical order either. My mum's. Macaroni cheese or just a perfect turbot, like cooked, cooked whole with with a nice butter sauce, something like that. Yeah. Pudding. um, Marmalade? Definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the best pudding I had, um, which I don't think can ever be beaten, Jeremy Lee's place, Covadis. He always does a tart, like an almond based kind of frangipan tart. Um, and he always serves it with custard cream and ice cream and I think like you know fair play to the man and that, that I can't really beat the, what I just can't beat that as a pudding and then as a starter oh I don't know right now I had just some barbecued asparagus with butter
0: Jersey asparagus
1: or? Ah, oh, or English yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right okay that's
0: not a bad selection that's not we've had some really contrasting answers so far some people going like top-end restaurants, some people going I don't think I've ever had a, or...
1: I don't think I've ever had a... I don't think I've eaten in enough good top-end restaurants, but I just never have a great meal in top-end restaurant. It really? always leaves me feeling a bit like... Meh, like meh. I don't think I've eaten in a lot of the places that I'd like to. Actually, I had a meal the, not long ago at Lyles, which I love in London, and that was one of the best meals I've ever had. That's the kind of food I want to eat.
0: Where would be top of the list of then somewhere that you want to go? That the one if i could say you could pick one restaurant to go to that you've not been to before
1: uh i've tried a few times to go i always feel like asador etxeberri you know just outside of um in the basque country in um yeah i'd love to go there Okay, maybe we'll take this podcast on the road and we'll go together. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Mate, uh, please, get us a booking. <laughs> I was gonna—I was actually going to try and book um, for my 30th birthday this summer. We were going to book ahead, um, but now it's all looking a bit, you know, precarious, yeah. You yeah. might,
0: might have to cook in yourself for your 30th this summer, I'm afraid. Um, yeah. On that subject, dream chef's table. You've got four people, alive or dead, at your chef's table. You can only choose one chef. Don't have to choose a chef, but just... Just in case you wanted to, you've only got one. But overall, you've got four to choose.
1: Four chefs to choose. Four people. Uh,
0: no, only one chef. Four only one
1: chef. C- four celebrities. Wow. You
0: can choose your wife. You can choose whatever.
1: <laughs> Definitely wouldn't choose my wife. Um, <laughs> it's not a last meal, is it? <laughs> it's the, it's the, uh, right, the last meal. Last meal oh, sorry, l-
0: Sorry. The ultimate three-course. So that was your last meal. This is just... You're cooking, okay. you've got four, four, four names. ready.
1: so table. I don't have to, I don't have to choose my wife. Okay. Um, <laughs> I would, <laughs> chef, I would go for probably like Rennie Redzepi, to be honest. Uh, can they be dead? Yep. Okay. So for, for entertainment, Oscar Wilde. Okay. Um, as a complete contrast to him, Ernest Hemingway and, um, Oh, no, just because I've been reading it recently, uh, Wendell Berry.
0: Right. I mean, I don't think there's going to be many conversations about sort of Love Island or the only way is Essex around that table, but that would be, be a highbrow <laughs> evening, I think, Joe. Um, yeah, well. The, th- the, <laughs> the third <laughs> of our burning issues I feel like we might well have covered because it's Kitchen Nightmares. and I think we've probably gone through a couple of those already. Have you got any more in the locker? Because got, we've had two great ones so far.
1: Kitchen Nightmares. Um, well, I had a shocker. It was, it's kind of kitchen. Again, this this restaurant, I, it was a real formative experience in Australia. Um, they All the boys in the kitchen, they, uh, they invited me to the um, staff party. I'd only been there like two days, something like that. And they are like, yeah, yeah, it's fancy dress. Um, it, was a big <laughs> it was a big party because it was a vineyard with a restaurant. There was like 50 people going. And they sent around a bus to pick you up. And I was living with these couple of Australian girls that I'd met through an advertisement for a room and i I said i'll come come and come with me and they were much older than me like 25 or whatever i was like 18 um and i was like yeah it's fancy dress fancy dress and they uh so we dressed up like fully went for it dressed up as pirates so i had everything going got on the bus and uh yeah they'd had me brilliant oh no so forever so so after that i was known as yeah of course stuck out man good man after that i was known as pj pirate joe mate
0: pirate joe i like it good man (laughs) last question then is a piece of advice to home cooks can be big or small but a lot of the time i think there are probably some very simple mistakes made by people that cook at home works the tiniest little bit of advice could improve things massively
1: yeah i would say um, use your instinct more than you use your tablet or whatever you're reading the recipe on
0: okay strong good one to finish on it's been great to speak to you joe cheers thank you so much thank you so much for joining us we've got another episode of uh, Source Material on the way next week for now though from all of us bye bye thanks very much indeed for listening